Hi, this is Tina Powell, host of In The Suite, where I sit down with top women leaders and some of the biggest names in the financial services and the wealth management industry. Together, we'll discover some of their best secrets and top strategies to grow a great business, build a strong brand, and lead teams in the 21st century. I hope you'll enjoy hearing their amazing personal stories of triumph, trepidation, and transformation in hopes of becoming better leaders ourselves. The time for you to lead is now, and you're in the suite. Sonia Dreisler makes a living by using the power of her voice. Her company, Solutions with Sonia, is appropriately named for what she brings form to table. Whether it be a presentation to thousands of people across the country or working with REAs, broker dealers and custodians to co-create a marketing and communications plan. One thing's for sure, Sonia is a leading industry consultant who reaps what she sows. Sonia's work is focused on three main areas, race, gender equality and ESG. She fosters candid conversations around gender and race and financial services and consults with other companies and business leaders to create more inclusive workspaces. Sonia believes that the financial services in the U.S. should be reflective of the population in the U.S. from entry level to boardroom. She has a passion to speak and write and an unequivocal drive for equity and justice for all. Sonia is also a subject matter expert in ESG and responsible investing. At Solutions for Sonia, she consults with a select handful of mission-aligned financial companies in that area. ESG is also in her DNA. Sonia's financial planning father introduced her to the concept in the 80s when, as a young girl, she would file mutual fund statements and learn about companies like Calvert and investing strategies focused around ESG. Sonia's background includes 14 years of working in traditional financial and investment roles, including CEO of a broker-dealer in RAA and four years as a consultant. She's received numerous awards and industry recognition from LinkedIn, Morningstar, Refinitiv, U.S. News and World Report, Aspire Magazine, Investment News, and Females in Finance. She's the mother of two boys, and as she says it, she's married to the incomparable Jeff Shinsky. Oh, and she also chairs the board at Quesa, a farmer's market in San Francisco. Well, you will also find her picking up homegrown products for her friends, loved ones, and neighbors. And that's where things get interesting in the suite. One of the many gifts you'll discover about Sonia Dreisler in this episode is how she is a voice of social change for good. Almost one year ago, Sonia published a 10-part blog series called Do Better, which shares the stories of assault and harassment of nearly 40 women in financial services. It's a huge accomplishment with humble roots, but it took nearly six months for Sonia to get the courage to do so and finally hit publish. In doing so, she found both the courage and the voice to speak up in the suite. Sonia Dreisler. Wow. Take a seat in the suite. It is so great to see you here today. So I'm really excited for this conversation. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I am honored to be here. 
Uh, we are so honored to have you, Sonia. And there are a lot of reasons why I have been looking forward to this conversation. Number one, the election is over with, right? So, so that's uh, so that's good. <laughs> Makes things a lot easier. Both you and I can breathe a lot easier, a lot to celebrate. And, you know, I find your work in this industry really very, very exciting and different. You have an exciting and a really cool origin story at a time in life where we are designing our role. But the way that I look at your work and who you are and what you represent, I, I see three areas. The first is gender. The second is race. And the, the third is ESG. And Each part is important and you've built such an incredible personal brand about the things that you care about and you've been able to model a business after that. Let's start with gender, right? Let's start with women. Two women in the suite today. It's a great conversation. Here, I want to start out with your pin tweet and you can all follow Sonia at S-O-N-Y-A-D-R-E-I-Z-L-E-R. So let's read that pin tweet from July 9th. Financial services in the United States should be reflective of the population of the United States from entry level to the boardroom. Bam. Let's kick it off with gender. What does that mean? Where's the genesis from that? Yeah. And that that statement is is both things too, right? It's race and and gender. And the genesis is, I think that Financial services is a powerful industry. It is full of rewarding and lucrative careers. It touches people all through the United States. Almost everybody interacts with financial services in some way. And if they don't, it's because we are missing them. So for all of those reasons, I think it's really important that our companies be reflective in terms of race, gender, sexual orientation, class, all kinds of identities of what the United States looks like. And not and I'm not just talking about bring one woman into the into the boardroom. I mean really Thank reflective. You for that. Yeah. I, I, I like you it. made that distinction <laughs> from both at entry level and all the way up. I'm talking about 50% women, um, talking about people of color and specifically black folks and black women represented in proportion to where they are in like a U.S. census, for example. We should look like and be from the communities that we work in and serve. Do you think now that with everything that's that's happened, I, I would say one of the great outcomes of the election is that now that we get to see a female vice president for the first time. And I don't know who coined the, the term or, or said it. If you can't see it, you can't be it. Yeah, I think Marion Edelman Wright said that. And it's something that I say a lot. And clearly, if you can't see it, you can be it. I mean, our VP elect is a testament to that, right? There has to be people who, who come first and who can imagine a, a better way and then have the, not just imagine it, but then do the work to get there and break all the 
boundaries and cross over all the hurdles and get there. But it is really hard to be it if you can't see it. And I, I use myself as an example. When I started in the financial services business, and we can talk a little bit about that later if you want, but... I think I was maybe a year or two in and my boss was really getting, really wanting me to go get my series seven. But I didn't want to get my series seven and she kept bugging me about it. And I finally told her, I was like, look, I don't want to be series seven because the person who's like next up above me in like in the company, the, the woman who is a, who has a series seven and it's sort of, you know, a few years ahead of me in the company, the work she's doing is not work that I want to be doing. Mm. I was really clear about that. And my boss who could see a different path for me was like, Oh, well, that's not why I want you to get your series seven. I want you to get it because I think you can do, you know, she, and then she explained the things that I could do with it. And it was one of the first times where I really had that personal experience with my own my own expectations, I had set them around what somebody else was doing instead of imagining or being able to realize what else was out there. And I needed help from somebody to, to show me because we do look at what's there as our, as our options, especially when I think, especially when we're younger in our careers and men, and especially white men have all kinds of options because there are white men in almost every level of financial services. So they can imagine themselves at at every level. And that's a a lot harder for women, for people of color, and especially for women of color. That was a long answer to your question about a VP. (laughs) Well, actually, let's take it back. I mean, I do. I want to explore some of the origins of of your career. It's why we bring women in the suite. And for those of you who are listening, who are audience members who are saying like, hey, wait, you know, Series 7, what is like, what does that even mean? And that's a general securities license. So what that means is that in order to sell product and to recommend certain securities for people, you know, that's a commission way that the industry works so that you need a license to do that if you're going to sell and suggest products. But then you were also too early getting your CFP. Yeah. And the Series 7, I actually worked in the back office for the broker dealer. So it wasn't to sell product. It was, you know, if you get your Series 7, then um, you can help with these things in the back office and then you can get your 24 and you can supervise and you can help with more things. You can take on more responsibility, get paid more, but I didn't know all of that. So I really need somebody to explain it to me. That also, I probably went at it for, in retrospect, not the right reasons. (laughs) I wasn't particularly at the, when I took the classes before taking the exam, when I signed up for the classes, it was because I, I didn't see a path forward for me in my current role, a path that I wanted. And so I thought, well, you know, I work with so many great financial planners. The BD that I worked at was a BD RIA hybrid. And so there were lots of financial planners. And I thought, well, maybe I could do work like them or go work with one of them. So I'm going to go get the training to do that. And I got my CFP and it's great work and great training and good education. And then I started doing some financial planning and I didn't actually really like it very much. Fortunately, I was still working at 
in the back office of the broker dealer and RIA and sort of trying the financial planning in addition to that. This is before I had kids, so I could juggle two jobs. Pretty easily. Um, and and it, I just didn't really like it as much. I realized that I liked working in financial services with financial services professionals, not necessarily with clients. And that I liked running a business. I liked the sort of big picture perspective of, of business. And so I kept the CFP for the credentials for a long time because the education was great. And also because many people in the industry didn't really take me seriously in my twenties as a woman in financial services. And so if I could hand them my business card that had those little letters on it, it had instant credibility. One of the things that I was really impressed about, one of your earlier accomplishments is actually going from an assistant role to then becoming the CEO of that that company. That had to have been so vindicating. And so, yes, I did it. I mean, it is a good story. And it's one that feels more linear in retrospect than it actually was. I, I mean, I took a lot of different paths and like trying to get my like getting my CFP and trying to be a financial planner and feeling like that wasn't quite the right fit and trying a bunch of different things. And I mean, the story is that the CEO who hired me, I I told her that I was not interested in financial services. Actually, I have an English degree and there just wasn't a lot of work in San Francisco when I moved to San Francisco. And so I took the job just to have a job and was really honest with her. I told her, you know, I'm happy to be an executive assistant, but I don't really want to work in this industry for a long time. And she said, just, okay, let's just, let's just start with a year. (laughs) I said, okay, fine. And, uh, she, she had a lot of faith in me and she moved me from, she kind of threw me in the deep end and told me to ask questions if I had questions, which I did. One of the first things I did, which was not really executive assistant at all. It was more like do all the things that need to be done where like somebody doesn't want to do them, (laughs) which is a good way to learn the, learn the industry. One of the first things I did was portfolio reporting, being a liaison between advisors and advent. Uh, And that's a really good way to learn really fast. A lot of the intricacies of um, what financial advisors are thinking about. So I learned that way and learned by looking up everything on Investopedia and asking a lot of questions and, uh, I think my by not being from financial services, I was able to make some changes to you know some of our procedures because I didn't have the that's the way we've always done things uh, mindset yet. <laughs> uh, so she saw that I could do that, and she moved me you know from role to role where I got to reorganize different procedures, different parts of the firm, make things more streamlined, make our services better. And so it was a very natural fit when I became our chief operating officer. And then I did that for five years, which I loved. And then became CEO when our CEO left unexpectedly. I threw my hat in the ring during the executive search. And yeah, it was it was really I don't I don't think I felt vindicated. That's not quite the right the thing. I also didn't have, I spent so much of my, well, really my whole career, my whole financial career, I spent there until I left. And so I didn't have a ton of outside perspective that that was, I knew it was unique, but I didn't realize how unique it was because I just had my head down doing the work. 
Well, one of the things that I know, uh, Sonia does a lot of speaking at industry conferences, and I love the power of your example. Finance and learning about finance is it's it's very complex and there are a lot of moving parts. And I would just encourage all of you listening right now, um, we're going to have the show notes so that you'll know how to get on Sonia's mailing list so that you can start to dabble in the articles, right? Because how do you take one huge body of knowledge and disseminate it and break it down so that the learning becomes cumulative? And that's what I like about your writing is that it's grounded in real life with an understanding of what advisors do and what the business is all about, but also too in humanity. And one of your most, I guess, poignant, what I'll call a collection or a series is what you did a few, well, I guess it was just a year ago or less than a year ago. The Do Better series. The Do Better series. It was the coming out series. a year ago this time. Yeah, yeah. With the Do Better series, you have, I think there were eight or 10 in the series. Ten. Wow. When you went to Twitter, you know, tell us about tell the people who don't know what the Do Better series means and what the massive, massive outpouring and stories and women and men. I couldn't wait to talk to you about this today. <laughs> sure. It's really interesting to reflect on it a year later. So much of my own life has changed because of it. I feel like I've found my voice and I feel stronger in my own voice in some ways because of it. But the, the Do Better series started, it, I first published it, the first piece in mid-October of last year, but it started way before that. I had seen a number of studies from financial media that said that were about harassment and assault in financial services. And they polled both men and women about their thoughts on harassment and assault in financial services and discrimination. And the differential between what men thought and what women thought was huge. And I thought, okay, well, women are the ones that are being harassed and women are saying that they think there's a harassment problem, but men do not think there's a harassment problem. I mean, some do, but the the differential is huge, right? And so I thought, okay, well, how can we get... Most men in this industry are good men and they want to do do good and do well at their, you know, at their work and be responsible workplace citizens. And they maybe just don't realize, you know, what it, the reality is for women. And so I wanted to figure out a way to explain what that reality really looks like. And I, I feel like the best way to do that is with stories. And so I put out a call on Twitter, I think it was March of last year, asking women if they want, had stories that they wanted to, that they would be up for me sharing anonymously. Because the other side of this is men don't know because women don't tell the stories. We don't tell the stories to them, to men, because of like power issues, shame, all kinds of different pieces. We often share them with each other. It's one of the first things that happens when women in finance get together. We talk about, you know, stay away from so-and-so in the elevator because he will grab you. Or like, did you, you know, 
that women exchange stories of pay discrimination, of harassment, of horrible stories from conferences, all kinds of things. But we don't share those stories with men, typically. And so I thought, okay, well, what if I could tell those stories anonymously? What if I could source them from actual women in finance, tell them anonymously? And so that's what I did. And I thought I would just get a couple of stories that I could share in addition to my own stories. And I would have an article to share. And so I put out the call on on Twitter to see if anybody would share their story with me. And I got about 40 stories that came in. In the, in the first 24 hours. So I was like, oh, there's there's something here. <laughs> and I didn't have a very big Twitter presence at that time. I have a decent Twitter presence now, but I didn't really then. And so it was remarkable to get that much traction from just one request. And so I took the stories and put them into themes, the different themes about harassment and discrimination and assault in in financial services and put them out in a series and didn't just, I told the stories and framed the stories in the like larger thematic problems and then tried to offer some systemic solutions that companies can consider and also individual solutions that individual employees or advisors can think about and bring incorporate into their own lives. You know, the, the stories really resonated with women and I heard so many, uh, I got so many responses from women, you know, thank you for telling these stories. It sounds like my story. I could see myself for the first time. I realize I'm not alone, all of those. And it's interesting though, because that wasn't really my audience. My audience was, I wanted to reach men, the good men that don't realize that this is happening and let them know what's happening so that they can be part of the solution. And it was really successful in that. And I'm, I'm grateful, grateful for the experience. Yeah. What really touched me were the stories themselves. And even the fact that some women were so afraid to even share their stories that they opened up another Twitter account just to be able to share their stories anonymously, which really struck a chord that that's how afraid, that really captured the essence of how afraid women are to tell their stories. But we needed to hear those stories and they are, some of them are really, they're really gross. They're heartbreaking. (laughs) They're, They're really horrible. But like you said, And I think that you can't correct behavior that just goes unchecked. And I felt that you really tied it all together at the end when you said the the two biggest takeaways from that series. However, here's one of the two, two of those things that resonated with me, Sonia, and that is that what would it mean to you, to your career, by actually telling this, because this involved a lot of, this was courageous. This was a bold move to do this. And you took a chance. I was pretty worried, to be honest. (laughs) I don't blame you. I would have been worried the same thing. I was worried for you, but I was so happy that, I mean, your proof, it's evidence of just what putting yourself out there and what being the storyteller and allowing these creating and cultivating, which is so part of you, like earth and growing things and plants and giving things a life. I find that's what you're about. Oh, thank you. I hadn't put those two things together, but yes, thank you. And yeah, I was, it was a, 
a risk. It doesn't feel like it as much now in retrospect, but when I think back to when we hit publish on the very first piece, I was so nervous. I mean, I, like I, I put the cod in March and I didn't publish the articles until October, Mm. partly because it took me a while to take in all the stories. They're really hard to read, as you know, and not just read, but compile and edit and and, and there was just way more than I was expecting, more material than I was expecting to deal with. And I, I shopped them, the articles around. I wanted a bigger distribution because at the time I didn't have a huge Twitter following. I didn't, I had a decent sized newsletter list, but it wasn't big. And I wanted the stories. I wanted the women's stories to get a larger audience. So I shopped, I asked, you know, different media outlets if they'd be open to publishing them and the they were not. Mm-hmm. And so that took a while. And then I just had them ready. I had them just waiting there on like finished. And I couldn't hit publish because I was so nervous. And when I finally did, I almost threw up. Actually, <laughs> I think I hit it. I think I hit publish. It was maybe 10 at night and cute. And with my, my, news the person who helps me put together my newsletter i told her yeah queue it up send it she said okay let's go and i just was overwhelmed and barely barely slept that night and the reception was uh, remarkably good although you know i don't know what if there were well there was definitely negative reception too i definitely got a lot of like gross hate mail but that happens with any time that you take a stand. Yeah, yeah. Something that you believe in. And actually, I look at the universe. And when I get those hate emails, I say, oh, absolutely. I said, you know what? It's working, universe. Thank you. That, <laughs> yes. that means that it's working and that it's hitting the right people. Then I want to acknowledge something positive that you just said before. And that was that there were a lot of great response from their fantastic men in this industry. And so there are a lot of fantastic men in this industry who was a surprise to you with the series that there, that a lot of men wrote in as well. And one of the central themes for the Do Better series factored around conferences. Oh, and yes. <laughs> oh, exactly. And I think I'd like to just spend even just a few minutes to get your thoughts because obviously with COVID, we've had the chance to reset and bad behaviors, behaviors gone bad at conferences now. It's bad. We're exactly in the news. What do you think now, you know, with the pandemic, with a lot of the attention being played about conduct at conferences, how do you envision that new world when, when we get to it eventually in 2021? Oh, that's a good question. I'm writing about that right now, actually. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, I I think it is an opportunity for both a reset of what from where conferences used to be pre-COVID, and also for us to take some of what we've learned during COVID. People have tried to shift to digital conferences with some success and some not so successful, but there have been some really interesting positive outcomes from the digital conferences that I think we could take into 2021 conferences, in both in person and digital. So I think it's a nice, uh, maybe one of the silver linings is that this is an opportunity to reset, to make sure that conferences really are beneficial to all the participants and that they are a safe and welcoming place for, especially for women, 
but for all participants and that we have the opportunity at conferences to work together and collectively imagine what the next year, five years or 10 years of our individual businesses, what they will look like and also collectively what the field will look like. And I think it's an opportunity to use our imaginations together to build a better financial services that works for everyone. I would agree with that. And I'm excited about that. I miss conferences. I miss rubbing elbows and sitting in sessions and watching people like you speak and and hear from everyone and to meet new people. When we eventually do reconvene, it will start off a little bit smaller and that, I think that that will position us better to the future. So I look forward to a positive future with conferences that are more inclusive and where conduct is <laughs> doesn't go wild in quite the same way that it has in the past. Yeah. And let's be clear for your audience that may not have been to one of these conferences or hasn't read the what you know, the, the piece that I wrote about them, what I'm talking about here in terms of safety is that it's not just women, but primarily women get harassed and sometimes physically attacked at our conferences. And it is absolutely unacceptable. It should not be a risk that you accept by being a woman in this business. It is something that both conference organizers and attendees need to be aware of and work to root out. And you make a really good point in those articles as well in the Do Better series. And that is one of the meaningful takeaways from that series is to say something, is to report. And a lot of women who shared those stories did report. Now, sometimes there were positive outcomes. Sometimes there was no action at all. However, I think that reading your Do Better series, I think empowered me to speak up. You know, let's talk a little bit about, you know, what to do when we're in these situations, because we find ourselves in these situations, even just in regular everyday life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And there's a couple of phrases that I like to offer to people. And this is going to sound silly, but (laughs) stick with me. I think it it really helps to say these phrases in the mirror a few times, maybe more over, over many weeks or even months to practice so that when you need them, they come out easily. Because when you're in a situation where you're witnessing racist jokes or sexual harassment and you have an opportunity to intervene, sometimes you're just so like shocked or horrified or embarrassed about what you're what you're seeing that you don't say anything and what that does is makes it seem like you you find that behavior acceptable and when you may not find that behavior acceptable but you just don't know what to say and so I'll give you some phrases that people can practice and they work differently in different situations so it's nice to have a few in your pocket. The first one is a good sort of bystander one, and it's one that I ask men to practice, especially before financial services conferences, but it can work in other situations as well. And it's like if you see a woman being harassed or if a man is making rude jokes to her or, for example, joking about putting roofies in her drink at the... At the 
you know, networking mixer, which is incredibly common, but so common that it's happened to me multiple times, including last year and to many women I know. And a joke about date rape is not not funny. Yeah, that's a threat. That as well. Right? Um, you should never let anybody get you a drink either. Ladies, <laughs> ladies, you will get your own drink. Yeah, somebody going to the bar, you're sitting, you're at one of these conferences and you're sitting at a round table with 10 other people, somebody going up, oh yeah, can I bring something back? Oh, thank you, I'm okay. Unless it's a bottled drink that is sealed, right? Some of these are not even, are putting yourself, not putting yourself in situations in the first place. Up, oh, it's 10.30 at night, gotta get up stairs, right? If you're going to be at the bar at one o'clock or two o'clock in the morning, probably not a good place. Yeah, I agree. There's that's a place where bad behavior often happens, but I would turn that back around on the harassers and the men and say, you shouldn't be harassing at one in the morning. Like there's no excuse. Alcohol isn't an excuse. The time isn't an excuse, but you're, you're right. Women and everybody needs to be cognizant of their surroundings. Although I wouldn't, I don't blame them if they want to. I mean, networking is what happens at conferences, right? That's where deals get done. It happens in the bar after after the conference sessions yeah. are done for the day. Nobody does a deal on a handshake in the middle of a panel discussion, right? It happens at the bar over drinks. And so, if you want to be yeah. in that business world, you 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 should be there. If you're witnessing that unacceptable behavior, one of the phrases that's really helpful is, we don't do that here. And I'll, I just like to break it down because each word's really important. The we is really important because you include yourself in that, your sort of norm setting by saying, we don't do that here. You're saying, you know, that behavior is not just unacceptable from you. It's just not something that we do here. And so it's as... Um, non-confrontational as a confrontational sentence like that can be. (laughs) Uh, It's going to be hard. It will be hard to say it, but believe me, it is much harder to be in the position where you're being harassed. Another phrase that if you're the one, if, you know, if you're a woman and a man is coming on to you at a conference event in an unwelcome fashion, you can say, hey, let's keep it professional, okay? And, you know, hopefully that works. Another good phrase, if you hear, you know, a racist joke, you can just say, uh, hey, that seemed racist. Yes. Or, or if you or if you want to put them on the spot a little, what what do you mean by that? Or I don't find that funny. Uh, just call it out for what it is. I recently had to do that, by the way. How did I it re- go? to say it was it was really it was awkward yeah and the the person said oh no I didn't mean it like that and I haven't spoken to that person since and I'm fine with that actually that's how (laughs) that's how that's how I feel about it but you bring up a really important point and that is that it is going to be difficult it is going to be awkward you might be the only person in the room but it is like what do you stand for and what do you believe in if it's truly unacceptable these are great things to say. We don't do that here. Hey, let's keep it professional. Hey, that seems racist. And one of the things that I learned from reading the Do Better series is that it's okay even to use a little bit of humor, right? In the case of the guys coming on to you, like, hey, come on, like, let's keep this professional. So the way that your delivery can even have an impact on your message, right? 
Yes. And I mean, the number one thing to think about for women in that position is you need to stay safe. And even though it's not funny, I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't characterize it as joking or funny to tell somebody, let's keep it professional, but you do, you have to be aware of your surroundings and realistically you have to protect yourself. And so if, you know, making a joke or, you know, you do what you have to do in those situations. And those, that's just one of the, one of the handy phrases that, that you may have to use. Mm, really, really good advice here. I want to also transition to having the conversation about race because we talk about Sonia Dreisler, Solutions with Sonia. I love the name of your company, by the way, and your consultancy. And that you also stand for race equity. And you've been talking about it for years. However, it's not something that we normally talk about at work. And, you know, I, I think that we've hit a new normal, not only with the pandemic, with, with Black Lives Matters, and to communicate how we stand, what we believe in, what our values are. So can you give us, in the same way you gave us some great suggestions on what to say, how do you start to bridge that in your culture? In other words, you've never had these conversations before. Where does a business leader start to introduce a new narrative in the workplace so that it positions them and the people that they serve safely? Yeah, that's a good question. For podcast listeners, just for reference, I'm white. Sometimes people want to know that information in a conversation about race. And so I want to be very transparent since you can't see me. So if you've never had a conversation about the topic of race in the workplace, it's likely because you're, you're likely white because it has race in the workplace has affected you if you are not white and you've likely had some conversations about it probably many through your whole career. And so right. if you're new to talking about this, welcome. And it's great to have you here. And I would say the first thing to do is probably... Well, gosh, there's a few things that kind of all happen simultaneously. Acknowledge that this is... Uh, new subject to you and it probably shouldn't be then start listening and if you need a place to start listening one of my favorite books to recommend is so you want to talk about race it's a really good primer it's easy to read stories based and also just like great data and history and um it's really really wonderful and then more specifically about race in the workplace, The Memo is a really great book. It's written by a Black woman about her experience in the workplace. And it was written, I believe, with other Black women in mind. But it's just a great sort of reframing and perspective setting for somebody who hasn't had those conversations before. It's a good listen. And then Rianca Dorsonville's podcast, the 2050 Trailblazers podcast is a really great one to listen to her to, you know, a variety of perspectives. So first listen, <laughs> um, and then listen some more and realize that when you start talking about this, you're probably going to make some mistakes and that is okay. You make mistakes. If somebody calls you out on it, 
you take a deep breath, you learn from your mistakes, you apologize for the impact of your mistake, not your intention, because even if you have really good intentions, sometimes the impact of your actions or your words is not good. And it's okay to apologize for that. And then keep going, just keep on that cycle of learning, listening, and speaking, speaking up when you can. And getting used to using, you know, talking about race in explicit terms, talking about not just people of color, but asking, for example, Black women about their perspective in the workplace and being able to say, acknowledge that you're white. That's another thing that can be really hard for white folks is even just to say that. I get that is probably one of the things I get the most like weird trolling and hate emails about people saying people other white people that are weird about me acknowledging that I'm white. (laughs) It's very weird. That is so, that is, that is really weird. But again, I'm not surprised. We will have the links to those, those books. I have read the memo by Mind Hearts and we gave it to our team here and we hired. Yeah. And one of the things that to your point, I, had not bridged race discussions before in my own company. And we're a small, mighty team of four. And at the time, we were half 50% women of color. We are 60% now, or 40% women of color and 60% white. And what I will tell you is that the conversation was welcomed. And I acknowledge the fact that I hadn't been talking about it like I should. And to your point, apologizing for the impact. And and I did. I came out and I apologized and I said, I really haven't been spending enough time on it, nor telling you about where I stand and, and what we believe in to be true. So I hired a facilitator, Dr. Verletta Bryant, to do a exercise with us uh, internally and an equity exercise with our team. And that was an unbelievable thing. She's coming on the podcast and then I'll, I'll also include that in the show notes. But the, the thing is that just starting somewhere and just acknowledging these things, I have to tell you, if you're a business leader right now, you need to take the chance and to start having these conversations. The world has been transformed and it is continuing to evolve. And I think people want to work with people who stand for something and who are vocal about what they believe in and who double down on that. Yeah. And I would say probably most people of color and especially black folks have felt that way for since far before all of the events of this summer. Yeah. And give your people too. give your team time off to do these things. I, I not only gifted them Minda Hart's book, the memo, but I said, actually take a day off and bring it to a park and go outside and read it. So think of what you can do as a business leader to help facilitate. And I'm telling you, it will come back to you in spades. People will look at you in a way that they've never looked before. And what a great way to show people that you care. Hey, listeners, you can now text me at 201-581-3983 to join our community in the suite. 
After you do that, we'll be lifting you up, inspiring you and supercharging your life with great quotes, resources, videos, and tips we get from our great guests. It couldn't be any easier. Just text 201-581-3983 to join our text-based community. Thanks. I, I want to spend time talking a little bit about your origin story because one of the things that I was fascinated to learn about you that goes back to the three-legged stool and that other part of you yeah. is that socially responsible SRI component of you. And it was so fantastic to see that that comes from your dad yeah. and that your dad's a, a financial planner. And here's what I love what, what you said. I'm a mom to two awesome boys and am married to the incomparable Jeff Shinsky. I come by my entrepreneurial and values aligned investing passion naturally. My mom is my business role model and my dad is old school responsible investing royalty. It's true. <laughs> He's been a socially responsible investing or SRI focused advisor and financial planner for years since the mid eighties, I think. So I grew up with it. I mean, I used to go to his office even when I was a kid and I'd be filing mutual fund statements from Calvert. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, he's been doing it for, for a very long time since there weren't nearly as many options and it wasn't as popular as it is now, but it's something that's always been, you know, important to him. And that's the client base that he has. And so even though I didn't want to, like when I started in financial services, I didn't want to be in financial services. That was not my career goal. I did know enough about it just from sort of growing up around it. I didn't, I didn't really know much. I didn't, for example, I didn't know that equity and stock were the same thing. I didn't know what a dividend was. I didn't know the intricacies, but I was fluent in the conversation around just general personal finance and investments. And, I, uh, and the SRI world, of course, <laughs> from my dad. I'm so proud of you right now. So oh my dad. gosh, he's so proud. <laughs> he's always so proud. The only person more proud than my dad was his dad, my grandfather, who passed away a few years ago. Uh, the, the first thing out of his mouth always is, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> what a and my dad is the same. <laughs> love that there's some linkage back to your your family members and seeing how just values now and what we believe in is able to manifest in your personal life as well as your professional life. And you do a lot from the ESG standpoint. Yep. It's not only you writing about ESG and, you know, portfolio constructing and all of that through ESG, but it's also how you live your life. And I was really impressed to see that you're also a board member of, is it Quesa? Quesa, yeah. Exactly. Cultivating a healthy food system. Boy, they do their marketing really good. I love their videos. Yeah. Yeah. We have a the team there. It's really phenomenal. And we do we focus on the power and joy of local food and feeding families, bringing together to communities, the, how it impacts businesses. It's a, it's a wonderful organization. Yeah. And I think it's for me, 
you already caused me to join a few Facebook groups and things that I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about animals and I'm really excited now. So this Quesa, you're supporting 20 local food entrepreneurs and that you fed and given over $59,750 in free fruits and vegetables. And this was way before COVID, ladies and gentlemen. That's another thing. It was really exciting to see that there was already a mechanism in place to give what was needed to the community already there. Yeah, it's a wonderful organization. There's just so many moving pieces running the farmer's markets. We have educational programs for kids. The money for fruits and vegetables is a a program called Market Match, where we can we have grants to match basically food stamp dollars to be used at farm, farmers market. It's called WIC here, but I know that's different from state to state. Um, yeah, all kinds of wonderful stuff. And I love food. I love cooking. I love shopping the farmers market. I love small business. It and yeah. keeping things local is good for the planet. Good for the economy. Good for the community. All the things that are dear to my heart plus gathering around a homemade meal and cooking for people I love is just one of my favorite things and actually oh one of the things I miss the most because of COVID we've been very very strict in our lockdown in San Francisco now for gosh it feels like an eternity I think it's been nine or ten months Um, and I gosh I miss having people over for dinner cooking and shopping and planning and someday it'll be back. (laughs) Yeah, we'll come back. We'll, We'll come back to that. Traditionally at this time, my mother's the oldest of nine and grew up in California. So normally I'm in California in December and we have like a gathering with her family that's like, you know, 25 people and we miss it this year. This is the first year in like 10 years that we're not doing it. And right now it's, it's everybody's, everybody's safety. So I'm like, you know, I love, I worship food and I'm a great <laughs> eater. Uh, well, when you come to San Francisco, I'll take you to the market. It's amazing. Oh, thank you. I've, I've followed you on Twitter and I've seen a few of your pictures. There. Oh yeah. Sometimes I post pictures from my shopping trip. Yeah, during during yeah. COVID, I decided I would shop for my, for my friends and neighbors at the market to have less exposure. If I was going there that I'd shop for them too. And it turned into this whole project. It's, I have, it's like, sometimes I shop for 10 families at the same time. It's really, it's, uh, kind of logistically challenging, but it's been really fun and, um, another way for me to bring food to people I love, even if I can't cook it for them, I at least can bring them the, the fresh ingredients to do it themselves. That's such a great, that again, that's such a powerful, wonderful way to just show your affection and kindness and, and love, especially right now during this time of COVID. Yeah. So I want to bring it all, all back together. And, and that is that, you know, I'm I'm sitting across the table right now virtually from a woman that has done amazing things already in the financial services by being bold and courageous and taking what you believe in and giving it giving it a form. And I know that there are a lot of women right now who are reflecting on their own careers, especially during COVID and doing a little bit of a reset. What would be your advice to those women that want to 
I guess, you know, act bolder. We're, we're on the cusp of a new year. Do you have any advice for women who want to organize whether or not it's their personal life or professional life around who they are and what they stand for? What would, what would you say to those women? I would say that it's, um, gosh, it's such a pleasure to have found my voice. I do feel like it's been fairly recent that I've found it in the past few years to not just find it, but be, be able to use it. Partly, I couldn't really use it at my old job because of broker-dealer communications and compliance issues. There, there just wasn't room for at a conservative firm for personal, for really any personal voice there. But also I've gotten, I don't know, I've gotten to a place in my life where in in addition to that professional element, I'm just maybe more in touch with who I am and what I believe in and more willing to say that publicly. And uh, at first it, it was hard to to take a take public stance, but it gets easier and easier the more you do it. And being, I don't know, tr- true to myself, which sounds so cliche, but it's it's true. It's it's more pleasant. It's easier to not have to not silo what I think from what I say. Of course, I you know need to be use discretion and not say everything that pops into my mind. Uh, um, but, but being able to speak about what is important to me is really a privilege and a pleasure. I know it's something that not everybody can do, but if you have the ability to do that and to take a stand, I encourage it. It gets easier and more pleasant and you meet your people. The more you speak up about what's important to you, people are like-minded folks are attracted to that. So I've found great clients based on my outspokenness who um, are not turned off by that. In fact, that's what, why they've come to me because they're interested in, in my voice. There are a lot of people who are listening right now, men and women who are going to want to come to you. So what, what's the best way? How do we follow you on Twitter? Get a copy of your newsletter. Yep. To get a copy of my newsletter, and that might be the easiest way to get everything else, you can text the word solutions to 33777. You can also find me online anywhere. If you Google Sonia Dreisler, you'll find me under my name at LinkedIn, at Twitter, and all over my own website, which is solutions with Sonia. Dot com. And Sonia Dreisler is S-O-N-Y-A D-R-E-I-Z-L-E-R. I was not blessed with an easy name for Twitter. <laughs> I love my name, but it's not an easy one to spell. <laughs> At least you have your own name. I had to add the C. My middle name is Carmela because Tina Powell had already taken. She's a children's author, which I was really happy to see. It's wonderful when you do Googling your own name and you see all the different professions that people yes. have. Like, oh, I would have loved to have been a children's author. So one of the last questions that we ask women here in the suite is whether or not they have a certain ritual, uh, a mantra, or even a physical object or a practice that, you know, gives them the power boost that they need in the suite. Again, I want to, you know, kind of rewind back to you hitting that publish button. That took a lot of courage that took boldness, that took a belief in oneself. And we all need to be there and to channel that. How did you rise to that moment? 
Hmm. That particular moment, I probably I knew that I had to do it eventually because the women had confided in me and it wasn't just about me. It was about something much bigger. It was about 40 women and their stories. And they didn't tell them to me for me to bury them because I was scared. Right. But that's probably, that's the, that's very specific to that issue. I think some of the things that sort of ground me and give me, I don't know, the confidence or strength to do what I do is an incredible network of uh, friends and colleagues, mostly women, but a couple of men too, that I can confide in and ask questions of and get real honest feedback from, including not always good feedback, which is good to have before you go public with stuff. <laughs> and then for practice, I I love lifting weights. Uh, it makes me feel good. I've been really actually kind of sick the past few weeks and I'm finally feeling better hoping to get back to it on Friday. I usually am Monday, Wednesday, Friday, lift, lifting weights. And then um, mantra, I have that too, but it's really hard for me. I, it's so hard that I have it tattooed. Be present because it oh. is really, that is my forever, I don't know, struggle against my own brain that to that wants to go to the next thing and, you know, prepare plan, prepare for whatever's next and take in more information. And, and it can be really hard for me to just be here right now, present in my body, in the conversation, enjoying this very moment and not worried about the million other things, you know, my inbox, my, the, the deliverable I have to do for clients, what I'm going to make for dinner, the grocery list, the, like all the, the things I'm, my brain is, rarely quiet and so I have to really it it takes intent for me to be there to be present and so it's a mantra that I am always working at and have not found the solution to it Um, but but always working I love that. Thank you so much for offering that piece of advice again having you on the show that intentionality that comes through in in who you are. And I think it's a great lesson for all the women in the suite to be present and to think about the things that are important and ways that we can do better. So Sonia Dreisler, thank you so, so much for being here in the suite. Oh, thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for your time today. listening to In The Suite, a podcast that shares amazing stories of women in business and the financial services and the wealth management industry. Our producers are Tina Powell and Kevin Hershorn. Our editor at large is Kevin Hershorn. Our content writers are Carmen Varner and Tina Powell. Our research and technical assistants are Rachel Powell and Kimmy Rice. In The Suite podcast is sponsored by C-Suite Social Media, a digital marketing and social media agency for C-Suite leaders and companies in finance and technology. You can visit csuitesocialmedia.com to learn more. And thank you so much for listening and subscribing to In The Suite. We are so, so grateful to you. We have listeners in 449 cities and 30 countries. This podcast was inspired by you ladies. Thank you. Please let us know how you enjoyed this episode with Sonia Dreisler and share your thoughts on LinkedIn and Twitter using the hashtag In The Suite. 
We would love it. It would mean so much if you left us a five-star review wherever you're listening to this amazing episode with Sonia. You can connect with her on LinkedIn and Twitter at Sonia Dreisler. That's S-O-N-Y-A-D-R-E-I-Z-L-E-R. And certainly check her out at www.solutionswithsonia.com. And always, if you would like to share the name of a financial services rock star we should interview in 2021, please send it to me at tina at csuitesocialmedia.com and we will consider it. Again, thank you so much for listening and subscribing to In The Suite.